Hi there, and thank you for tuning in to Asking for a Friend. My name is Katrina Buffard, and I'm a clinical sexologist and psychotherapist. This podcast provides you with evidence-based information and real-world advice about getting to know yourself better sexually, and it covers all those topics that we would rather ask about for a friend. Just a warning, this podcast may contain conversations of a sexual nature and isn't suitable for kids. Today, we're going to be asking for a friend all about maternal mental health. And my guest on the podcast today to discuss this is clinical psychologist Tamlin Anderson. As a mom herself, she has a lot of experience in the topic of maternal mental health personally, but professionally she specializes in this area with her clients, as well as specializing in the relationship between emotions and the body. Welcome, Tam. Welcome to the Asking for a Friend podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. It's so awesome that I get to interview you. Um, you and I have been very very lucky to have known each other for a very long time but have mm-hmm. been even more lucky to work together um in terms of um academic groups and referrals and things like that and when i was thinking about the topic for today's podcast i was thinking about who would be the best person to discuss this and one of the things that i'm really kind of um really adamant on when it comes to what i'm putting out on this platform is that i'm not giving advice as somebody who perhaps has not experienced it myself and I don't have children. So, you know, I wanted to speak to somebody who personally and professionally was really able to delve into this topic, but not only just from um, the kind of um, fact-based side, but also perhaps the lived experience side. And I think that you really are the right person for that. So, um, Let's just let's just kick it off and and let me ask you a little bit about why do you think that we don't speak about birth without talking more openly about the psychological impact that it can have on women? We now know more about the perinatal period than we ever have in in, in the history of mankind. And yet women are still falling pregnant, giving birth and raising children and not knowing as much as what they should. And me as a psychologist, I was not fully ready uh, with giving birth and with becoming a mom. And I think, I think a lot of it has to do with a fear of looking like a bad mom or looking like a failure as a mother. So a lot of moms aren't reaching out and, and saying if they're struggling or asking questions that they need to. And I also think that there is unfortunately still a lot of shame that comes from professionals and comes from society as well. And what we should be looking at is more of a one size does not fit all when it comes to, to being a mom and what is right for one mother may not be right for another. I also think there's quite a contradiction. We're creating this miracle this beautiful, incredible life, but you're doing so through such a difficult means and in such a difficult way. So I think a lot of the time moms get confused between them, but I love my child so much. Am I allowed to be feeling bad today? Moms are struggling or told that they're not allowed to, to have both. It's a, I'm having a bad day versus a, I'm a bad mom. And moms are struggling with this contradiction all the time. And so during a time that there's so much pressure to be happy and excited, moms are more sleep deprived than ever and their lives have completely changed 
in the most drastic way. And birth is a foreign battlefield. I don't care if you've had no children or if you've had 10 children. Each pregnancy is different. Each birth is different. And I remember before I became a mom, I was working at the Ned Care Rehab Hospital. And so I was working with a lot of trauma. And we were able to actually track back mood difficulties to when moms had given birth to their children. Sometimes that was 10 years ago. Wow. And we could actually track back when the mood difficulty started. And there was a complete lack of insight that perhaps that was the start of the problems that have been built up over the years. Of course, then when I became a mom myself, when I went through the birthing process, pregnancy, I then actually got to see that moms are not fully equipped with knowing what's going to happen with their bodies, their mental health, their own overall well-being. And so I think it's also that people aren't talking about it. People are talking about it more. We have some amazing Facebook groups. I've had it where I've bumped into some people from school and we've spoken openly. But I still do think that there's a, a bridge that needs to be built in order for moms to be able to speak openly without fear of judgment. I think you're so right. And I think in, in 2020, we really have come a long way in not only the openness of, of these kind of topics and conversations, but where they're being had. So it's not just between friends, you know, or between a mother and her daughter when the daughter is becoming a mom anymore, or between the healthcare professional and the patient, but it's now happening on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, it's happening on, you know, articles on Huffington Post, um, online on numerous different platforms and there's a lot more access to information but obviously I think it can be really overwhelming for especially maybe a first-time mom to mm. to tr kind of trawl through all these you know articles about becoming a mom and what to expect and the one thing that I've heard so many moms and dads too say is that there is no antenatal class there are no amount of Googles you can do. There are no amount of conversations you can have that can prepare you for this. Do you think that that is something you'd agree with? I would absolutely agree with it. I was having bi-weekly meetings with a midwife from 12 weeks pregnant right up until I gave birth. And then the midwife was even visiting us for seven days afterwards. My husband and I didn't just do a little package of antenatal classes. We did a big antenatal class and I'm not saying don't do these things please go and, and 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 educate yourself as much as possible but it doesn't necessarily mean that everything that you learn is going to be a fit for you and or for your baby and so sometimes it's actually learning together along the way um, you have to learn how to be a parent to this specific child and sometimes also your child is, is going to be teaching you along the way I don't think I think a lot of the antenatal classes focus on what they have to, but they don't always necessarily go into the emotionally, what is it going to be like? Is it okay to not be okay? And there's, no, there, there, there's nobody who's ever come to me and has said to me, oh, I had an antenatal class and I was taught exactly how to dress my baby dependent on what the temperature is <laughs> in the room. We have to learn all of those things along the way. So I would absolutely agree that that, it's kind of the difference between learning a textbook versus experiencing something yourself. It's an experiential process as opposed to just learning. Got it. So, so really you learn through doing, not through reading yes. essentially, but I guess that's really challenging. And the, I'm the kind of person that likes to know. I like certainty. Yes. And you know, and that relates to the fact that I do experience anxiety. I do worry a lot. So actually I think it's incredibly difficult because 
you you want to have as much information as possible, but nothing can prepare you. I mean, that must have a whopping impact on your mental health, even before you've stepped into this realm of motherhood. Absolutely. I, th- I think that what, what we're not talking about is how primal pregnancy and birth and becoming a parent actually is. And we as a society, we've moved away from that so much. We've moved away to make ourselves more comfortable, to, to speak in a certain way, to act in a certain way. And so all of a sudden, when you are lactating everywhere, your body feels broken, your chemicals in your body and your brain are absolutely everywhere, you are now expected to, to do potentially one of the most important jobs you will ever do. And, and you just, you're not fully prepared for that. I was not prepared for how primal birth was going to be. Um, I was also not prepared. I, mean, I think we were talking about this so much more. I'm seeing it all the time on social media about how badly sometimes women are treated during birth, even in this day and age, even in the best hospitals with the best professionals. Um, when you and, say badly, what kind of things are you talking about? So I don't think women fully know what their rights are during birth. I don't think... There's, there's, there's some great books written, written about this, about the history of, of the medical world and how women have been treated during the birthing process. Unfortunately, I also think that uh, the, the medical world's labeled as quite draconian, which I don't think is very fair either, because birthing is so confusing. It's scary for a doctor. They don't speak about that. It's scary for the mother. It's scary for the father. And it is so out of control and it is so big. And there's no way to get a baby out that isn't damaging to a woman's body. Mm. And so, unfortunately, we, there are videos that are circulating where women will say that they, they don't want an episiotomy and the doctor won't listen. Where a woman is saying, I'm very scared, I, I've had enough, I want a C-section. And the woman has said, is told, you're not being strong enough. And so oh. there's a lot of a lot of a lot of messages being given through the obviously the pregnancy stage, but also with the birthing stage and and and, and post birth, that I think sometimes can can be perceived as abusive. But there are also there are a lot of videos and things circulating that 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 are experienced as abusive as well. Wow, I mean that even just brings up anxiety in me hearing that that women go through that and they have those experiences. I mean, the amount of women I work with um, who experience intense sexual pain and they are able to conceive either um, through intercourse or through IVF or, you know, whatever means um, possible. They are terrified of natural birth. And I've written numerous supporting letters for my clients on being able to justify a cesarean section and how women often have to fight for the kind of birth that they want to have, which, you know, for me as a woman, and I'm sure for you in 2020, you know, in, in many parts of the world, women don't have that option. But in places you think you do have that option, to still feel you have to fight for it is pretty shocking. Absolutely. And, and that's one of the things that I do in my, 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 my pre-birth counseling with my patients is to let them know that they are allowed to be very aggressive about their rights, that they know exactly what their rights are, that they know what to expect if their birth plan is perfect or what to expect if their birth plan goes really, really wrong. Women need to be able to say what their hard rules are. For me, uh, one of my hard rules was I really wanted my husband to help to stay with me no matter what was going on. That's obviously if I, if I had to have had a C-section, he would have had to have leave, left the room at certain points. That would have been understandable. But 
I needed to be educated on that and I needed to be able to talk to my professionals who are helping me through the birthing process to be able to say, these are my very strong rules that I'm comfortable with. These are things I'm not comfortable with. Also, the doctor can educate me about what is reasonable and what's not reasonable. I think, you know, you've mentioned so many things that you didn't know. And I think that many, many women listening to this or, or, or men listening to this wouldn't know. But as a mental health professional and a mom, what else do you wish you'd known or had a conversation about before becoming a mother? What do you wish a healthcare provider or a friend or a parent, or a, a trusted person would have said to you and told you about? Sure. So there's, there's, there's a lot of things. One is that I wish someone had said to me that I mustn't even consider asking for help. I have to ask for help. Yeah, we just don't have the, the village anymore. In the older days, a mom would have to wear one hat. She would have to birth the child. Then we would have the granny living in the house. We would have sister with her kids living in the house. And the dad's role was then to go off and work. And obviously the patriarchy had its problems back then. So no way am I saying that that was an idealistic time. But now we have the mom and dad, if we're lucky to also have a father figure, bringing home this child and not having to raise this child. So I wish someone had said to me, you have to ask for help. You don't, you, there's this expectation that moms have, I've got to do this alone or else I'm a bad mother. That was one thing I wish someone had said to me. I also wish I had known, because this is hindsight, that not one of my professionals would ask me how I was doing after the birth. Really? And I had the most incredible team, and I still vouch that they're the most incredible team. I just don't think our professionals have been educated how to hold women and what they're going through during the perinatal period. So I, I saw everything from a midwife to a gynecologist to an osteopath and a cranial sacral therapist, you name it, I saw them, saw a pediatrician, two clinic nurses. And during that time, not once did someone say to me, Tam, how are you doing? Hmm. And sometimes when I get my patients in the room with me, again, breast milk all over their shirt with this tiny baby, I'm sometimes the first person to say to them, how are you doing? And quite often the answer will be, well, I'm, I'm able to produce this much milk. My baby's now sleeping at least what hours. I'm you have to heart. stop them. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You have to stop them and go, no, no. How are you doing? How, how much are you sleeping? How much are you eating? Who are you able to call? What are your thought processes? Or how are you, what are your actual emotions? What is going on inside of you? So I wish that I had known that no one would, would think to check in on me. And I barely thought to check in on myself because you, you, you go into the stage that we'll probably talk about just now. We have to be so preoccupied with your infant in order to be able to make sure they survive. Mm. And so I wish that I had known that the professionals wouldn't check in on me. That was, that was actually something that I perhaps needed to, to push a little bit harder on um, and when talking to other people. Um, I wish I had known how hard breastfeeding would be. This is a whole, a whole other area. Mm. Um, it's okay to not breastfeed. Fed really is best. I am yet to meet a creche teacher that when the kids come in, they can go, oh, yeah, that, that, that child was definitely a natural birth. And, mm, that child, I can tell they weren't breastfed. Mm. I'm yet to see that happen. Mm. And, and there is unfortunately a lot, of, a lot of dialogue amongst professionals that still is around if you give natural birth and if you breastfeed, you've done it right and your child will be okay. If you have not, if you've had a C-section, if you've not breastfed, you've somehow done something wrong. And, and, and this judgment, we need to take it away. It's, it's, it's fed as best. I, I, am, I am a big advocate for that. Mm. And I wish that, that I had known around breastfeeding. I also wish that I had known that my child 
would be completely incredible and healthy and her own magical self, even if I didn't do everything perfectly. Mm, imperfection and perfection. Why? Well, not imperfection and perfection, but realizing that there is no such thing as perfection. Yeah. In fact, in fact, we want a good enough mother. Someone who's trying to be a perfect mother is probably not going to be able to focus on what this child actually needs because they're too busy focusing on being what they think should be perfect. As you and I know, when in any kind of, in any situation, when we aim for perfection and we believe that we have to do everything perfectly, it's actually more damaging than if we are kind and compassionate to ourselves to just be good enough. The good enough mother, right? That's exactly that. It's a good enough mother. Um, I wish moms knew that their worth as a mother is not based on, again, how much milk you're producing or how quickly you can calm your baby when they start crying, that actually you will learn everything that you need to about your baby and, and they will be teaching you along the way as well. And, and I, I also wish that I'd known, you know, millions upon millions upon millions of, of women had birthed before me and were able to do it. <laughs> and at the same time, even though there were millions upon millions upon millions of women who had birthed before me, they also had a different experience perhaps to me. They made different choices to me, which was right for them and their babies, and that that was going to be okay too. I always say to, to, to my patients, I say to them, I'm going to give you advice or we're going to talk about things and you're allowed to use it. Put it on your internal shelf or you're allowed to throw it away. So you can shelve it and use it later, throw it away, and use it. And I think that we should use that with all of the professionals that we see. Mm-hmm. The mom actually does know what her child needs. Get all the information. Seek out professional advice. Don't feel like you need to do this alone. But it's also okay to use your gut instinct to know what your child personally needs as well. Yeah, and I think you, we, we, we speak a lot about maternal instinct, um, and that shouldn't be underestimated. Because I think we're going into this, or, or a woman goes into this with so much uncertainty. But as you say, millions and millions and millions of women have done this before mm-hmm. and survived and gotten out of it uh, relatively mm-hmm. badly, uns- well, badly scathed, but you know, um, a lot stronger for it. I mean, I have always told my clients that those of them who are moms are, I just think, are super, super women. And, you know, I'd obviously, I don't want to leave the dads out of this. I mean, what about, what about the experience for, for dads in this whole process and how, you know, that's affecting them in, in this transition that, that they're having, you know, from pregnancy to birth to postpartum? So, I mean, we'll, we'll, you're right. I mean, there's just this such neat categorization that we have for women and, and, and we can go through, we can go through some of those, but the, what we know now about fathers is, is a lot, but it's, it's still not enough. What moms are experiencing, dads are also experiencing perhaps in a different way because they haven't had to birth the baby, but this is a topic that people are not speaking about. Fathers are more involved in this day and age. This is obviously a very loose, broad statement I'm making. Obviously, it's different in various places around the world. But dads are being forced, one, to be more involved, thank goodness. But dads are also forced to be more involved when moms are going back into the workspace as well. And, um, and with dads, there's also a, a lack of support for what, what the dads are experiencing. Um, dads are no longer just dismantling the pram. In fact, I was so sick after giving birth. My husband was changing nappies before I was. Mm. That's how much of a big role that he, he played in, in, in it for me. And 
So Bjorn spoke about how the role of the father is to care for the mother so that then she can care for the baby. But it's not the case now because moms can't be available 24-7 to their babies, which is kind of the expectation of moms in this day and age. So dads are having to take on more roles. Um, fathers are also at risk for, for perinatal disorders. Mm-hmm. In fact, as one study found that 4 to 25% of men will actually show some form of symptoms um, in, in, in terms of, of, of mental health difficulties. And we're talking about, I mean, this is in moms and in dads and, and, and in different ways, but it's the same hormones that are involved in bringing a baby into the world. It's the same hormones that are there in the brain and that are changing in the brain when it comes to mental health. So we're talking about testosterone, estrogen, cortisol, prolactin, and studies have found that lower testosterone postpartum in men shows an increased paternal sympathy and responsiveness when the baby cries. That's very interesting. And one month postnatally, if a man has an increased estrogen, they tend to be a more active parent. Very interesting. And so we're wanting these brain changes to happen in men, but then are we not going to also expect to, be, to, to see some mental health difficulties? And we've got to offer the differentiate between what's pathological and what's also normal mental health expression. And so... There are also still a lack of postnatal uh, paternal tests. We're using maternal postnatal testing on on men Mm because we don't actually have tests for our dads. Dads are also sleep deprived. Their lives have changed. They've lost their partners. They know their partner to be. So absolutely, dads are are definitely at risk for postnatal conditions. I think think it's such a, it's, it's actually an area we should probably explore more and ask about for a friend because the reality is that, again, we're in 2020 and these conversations are still not being had enough. Um, so, you know, we, we often talk about depression, um, postpartum depression is kind of this, this thing that could happen to you after you've given birth and, you know, as a, as a new parent. Um, but what are some of the kind of more common mental health difficulties that women are going to experience? Right. So... There's, there's, there's a number which we can, which we can talk about. Um, again, we just need to go through to, to the, the baseline brain changes. Women have to become very preoccupied with the infant in order to make sure the baby survives. And so an enmeshment actually has to happen between the child. And we call this the, the, the maternal preoccupation phase. And it actually happens when the mom's still pregnant. That's why I also think there's a difficulty in the fact that women are not taking enough uh, leave in order to be able to prepare for the baby. Some women are working right up to the end of their births, uh, sorry, end of their pregnancies. And so this enmeshment that needs to happen allows a mom to go, what's happening with my baby? And moms need to have enough anxiety to go, is my baby hungry? Is my baby cold? Is my baby sore? Do I need to take my baby to the doctor? And these are all brain chemicals that are happening. And the, we need to also differentiate between what are these baby blues that people are talking about and what is a lot more serious. Mm-hmm. And sometimes these two things overlap. So we expect to see moms who are sleep deprived. They've had this physical trauma. They've had increased stress and it's normal. So when moms come to me and say, I'm so scared of taking my baby through a door because I'm scared of hitting my baby's head on the door. That's kind of a normal thing that we expect because of the increased anxiety in order to be able to look after the child. Um, what starts to become worrying is when we see extreme feelings of worthlessness, 
when a mom becomes more volatile and, 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 and raging, suicidal ideation or intent, mm-hmm. we don't, as, soon, as soon as that type of, 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 of even that thought mm-hmm. comes up, we need to stop and we need to really focus on the mom. With, with, there is no baby without, without a carer. The baby can only exist and can only be looked after if the care has been looked after. And also, you know, I always say to moms, is there a way for you to have a good night's sleep? Can we send you to GP? Let's get you just onto one or two nights of sleeping tablets. Let's get, can someone else take the baby? If you're feeling better after that, we know you were seriously sleep deprived. But if you're still having very negative thoughts, then we need to look into that a bit closer. Um, and also this feeling of like nothing's ever going to be okay. If moms come with that, that's also something I listen out for. So you, as you mentioned, there's a perinatal depression. So that's when we see loss of interest in the world. We see very severe sleep changes that become distressing for the mom, appetite changes, feelings of hopelessness and guilt and self-blame. And we, the other ones that people don't talk about is perinatal anxiety. Because people always talk about the, the, the sadness, right, the baby blues. Perinatal anxiety is extremely distressing for a woman to have to go through. A woman will actually be having panic attacks, will feel very lightheaded and dizzy, obviously not due to anemia. It will be, be actually at an emotional level. They will just become so overwhelmed that they feel very dizzy and lightheaded. Pins and needles in the body, restlessness, sweating, insomnia, teeth grinding, headaches and other sort of body pains so that's 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 one of them as well um and other ones that are, are, are quite severe that, that that we need to hone in on it's, it's perinatal or postpartum ocd yeah. so that's intrusive or unwanted thoughts a fear of contaminating the baby i predict we're going to see a an increase with, with covid19 in this one i agree a fear of of dropping a dummy on the floor, are we washing the bottles properly? Um, but to the point where if a person's standing for an hour washing the same bottle, we start getting very concerned. And then also intrusive thoughts about harming the baby or hurting the baby, but these thoughts being very unwanted. So that's part of, 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 of the perinatal OCD. I think maybe, if, Tam, if it's all right, just to say that it's quite normal to have intrusive thoughts as human beings. You know, um, I've worked extensively with OCD, as I'm sure you have as well. And it's normal for human beings to have these intrusive thoughts, you know. So it is quite normal for a mom to be scared she yep. will kill her baby. Um, yeah. But it's it's that distress, it's that that unwantedness of these thoughts and the kind of intense anxiety response that it yields that can then lead to something a little bit more um, a little bit more pathological. Absolutely, hundred percent. And, and, and the way to differentiate between the two is, is to ask what is the feeling of thought versus what is the action? So there's a difference between that intrusive thought and it's, it's, it's uncomfortable and, and, it, and it brings on a feeling versus a, I'm not going to walk through the door with my child in case I hit my child's head. Or a, I'm not going to go and get my child. I'm going to get someone else to go get my child because I'm too scared. I don't trust myself with my child. That's, I think, a very helpful way to differentiate between the two. Mm, I mean... It's, 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 it's interesting. I've had many conversations with my own therapist about, about becoming a mother. And I don't know if it's because I'm in the field of, of psychology and mental health that, and maybe you experience this too, but I feel like I have even more anxiety because I know all of these things that, you know, we studied these things at, at university when we were studying psychology and it brings up a lot of 
its its own anxiety and then on top of that there's all the uncertainty and the the fear of the unknown and 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 i mean it is it i sit here with anxiety as somebody without children and as somebody who's been through this and as somebody who works extensively with women who have have had these experiences, been sitting in my seat, you know, no kids, high anxiety, gotten pregnant, had the baby. Tell me a little bit about what, what you'd want to share with somebody like myself who, who was, you know, starting to go down this journey, perhaps. Um, I was having a good laugh when you were talking because it's, it's, it's true. If you don't know it's anxiety provoking, when you do know it's really anxiety provoking. And, and parents, and I'm going to say parents because we're talking about the dads here as well a bit, actually just need to be told that everything is going to be okay they just need to look for support that symptoms need to be normalized and that there's a lack of judgment I think as soon as we can say to a person that yes people have done this before but you are safe this is a safe space to talk I think that that makes the biggest difference because I think people are split. You either get told the, the story of the, you've got such a short period of time, enjoy this, enjoy this child, which can bring on guilt, or it's the horrors like what we're speaking about today, which I think we're honing in on a lot on because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the, 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 the more psychopathological part of, 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 of the, the perinatal period. But I think that as soon as a human being, we're made to be supported. We're made to feel connected. As soon as we don't feel connected, as soon as we feel alone, that is when things become problematic. So as soon as a person doesn't feel alone, as soon as they feel supported, as soon as they have someone saying, I see you, I think it's a whole game changer. So I think the more support a person knows that they have and that there's no judgment, I think that that's going to make the biggest difference. I think... You, you really hit the nail on the head for me there because it's this thing of the more we hold on to it, the more we believe we shouldn't verbalize that we're not okay, the more we believe that we should just be fine, that is going to really fester that guilt and that shame um, that I know and that comes possibly hand in hand with this experience for so, so many parents. And... Why do you think that is? I mean, where do you think this narrative or this discourse has come from? Why do you think that in 2020, over the last, you know, 2,000 years, things haven't changed and we haven't yet got into that place of moms and dads recognizing this is actually a big deal. This can affect us. We will be okay. We will get through it, but it is going to be hard. Mm. I think we're seeing we still see a lot of the external. So we see what people look like in the work environment and what they present on social media. Social media, everything looks so beautiful on social media. We don't always know what goes on behind closed doors. We're still living in a society where if someone's going to come into our home environment, we do the let's sweep everything under the rug and let's pretend everything's okay. Um, at the same time, I also have had some very beautiful experiences with my patients or in my personal life where I've bumped into a mom and we've been able to to have such raw real conversations that's what we need we need to be acknowledged we need to be given reassurance we need to be given support but in that we need to be able to be more vulnerable and more authentic with the experiences we're having 
And so I think it's, it's about what is the facade, what is the not true self versus what is actually true, what is going on inside. And that's why I think therapy becomes a very meaningful experience because that's a lot of what I do in the, in the pre and postnatal counseling. I just I acknowledge, I reassure, and I give support. And as soon as we can do that, when we start doing that, I'm not bad, it's okay to feel this way, it's okay to be having this experience, it's okay to be doing it differently to whoever in my life then we give ourselves permission to feel confident in what we're doing and to be able to share it with other people. And it's wonderful. I mean, you can see some of the Facebook groups, some of them like motherly and scary mommy. I mean, even that name, scary mommy, giving permission to be messy and to not be perfect and to be able to present a very different part of the self. I also think that when something's unknown, it's very scary. I had my own mom say to me, birth is going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. I was rose-tinted glasses, still going into it. And I was very blessed with the kind of support that I got from my mom. But I also think just the experience when it's so shocking and it's so new, it's not just a test you can take. You can study for it and you can take the test and you pass and then you continue with your life. It's, it's really a huge experience that, that's going to come along. But I think that it can also allow you to have access to yourself in such a meaningful and beautiful way as well. I think there are several things there that I I want to to pick up on that I really like that you said you were talking about, you know, the vulnerability and authenticity, which I think is crucial, right? I don't think there is a, a physical act more vulnerable than giving birth at all. And emotionally how you know what well, what that brings up emotionally but in the period you know after giving birth when you're you're in you're a new parent or you've got a new little one there is an immense amount of roller coaster emotions and being able to name them and be with them and understand that they won't be there forever and they're just emotions is so important but then you also sp- spoke about how this is there's, there's no test you don't get a test it's not pass or fail you you can't fail i mean mm-hmm. you can be a really really shocking parent if you do really shocking things to your child like pathological things mm-hmm. but you can't fail at, at being a mom or a dad when you're just trying to keep yourself and your, your little one alive um, and, and take care of your little one and take care of each other and give love mm-hmm. and feed and sleep and all of our basic needs to your little one as well as taking care of each other at the same time. I mean, I, I, think, it's, I think it's so important what you're saying there. We expected, I think that, that also answers your, your, your question you asked me before, that we're expected to wear too many hats. I love this hat analogy where we're expected to be a mom and a sister and a career woman and a wife. And and, and there's this this idea that you have to somehow get it all perfect. This is something that comes through a lot with my, with my own therapy, with my patients and in my my, my personal life, this idea of this perfection. Whereas being a parent is meant to actually be imperfect. You bring this beautiful creature, this beautiful child into this world and it's such an imperfect world. And so the process of being able to say, I'm not here to control my child's life. I'm not here to control and stop them from being hurt or stop them from having difficult experiences or sore tummy or colic or being in the NICU. I can't control these things. But what I can do is I can love this child through it so they can feel connected and they don't have to be alone. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is the best gift that what we can give to our children. Gosh, that is incredibly, incredibly powerful, truly powerful that you don't have to, tr- you, you, you cannot be in control 
of so many things that happen, but what you can control is giving your child unconditional love and care and yourself unconditional love and care and compassion perhaps. I find that to be, I mean, that's also a whole other very interesting topic is how does a mom treat herself when she's pregnant? Mm. Sometimes the moms that I have that, that, that come to me for therapy treat themselves better when they're pregnant than they ever did before. And then when this child is, is out of them and now in the real world, they treat this child better than what they treat themselves. And self-care is really important, but it's also not enough for our moms. So just a bit of self-care is not enough. Mm. It has to be about a deeper relationship with yourself. And, 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 and there is there's such a beautiful potential when you bring your own child into the world to start treating yourself differently and seeing yourself differently. Everything from the way you talk about your body, weight, self-worth, the kind of language that you use. Um, this little being comes into the world and, 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 and tests your own way of thinking. Sure. I mean, you and I could continue talking about this for so many more hours. Um, and I know that, you know, your expertise, both personally and professionally, are invaluable when it comes to a topic like this that we need to continue conversations about. We need to have more openly. I really, I hate it when I hear women say, I wish my friends before me who had had babies would have told me what it was going to be like or to expect that my breasts would leak or to anticipate that sex may be uncomfortable, you know, when we start having sex again as a couple. I, I really wish I would start hearing that less and less, but there's a need to continue these conversations. Um, and so hopefully we can. But the way that I like to end off each episode is, is to ask you as my guest, what has been the most surprising thing for you that you have learned, and perhaps for you personally and professionally, you could answer this, while you've you know, been working in this field or becoming a mom? So. I, th- I think it's how hard human beings are on themselves. The, there's this inner voice that every person seems to have. And Brene Brown calls it the voice, which I think I love that. Let's go with that, the voice. We're just so hard on ourselves. There's this internal voice that isn't our, isn't our voice. It's not ours, but it, it, it yaps away. And the more we feed into it, the more it's like feeding a dragon. It gets bigger and bigger. But the more that we can tap into our own internal voices and challenge this, this, this darker, meaner voice, I think it can be such a powerful thing. It's it sometimes when I get this woman in, in, in the room with me who's become a mom for the first time and is so sore and so vulnerable in terms of her body, her spirit, her mood, everything, and seeing her being that hard on herself, um, it, it brings up so much in me. And I know because I was there too. So it's really, it's about how people treat themselves and think about themselves and speak to themselves. And that has always been something that stands out to me the most. Wow. That's so interesting. And, and such an, a powerful, um, a powerful reflection and thought to end on. So it's, I'm so grateful that you've given me your time today to chat about this topic that, that really needs to be spoken about more and that we shouldn't have to just hear via, you know, information about via the grapevine. Um, where can people get hold of you? Should they want to reach out to you, come to see you for a consultation, um, engage with you and so on? Um, so people are more than welcome to get hold of me. Um, my, my, my details are all on the internet. You can get hold of me on my email address, Tamlin Anderson, numeric one at gmail.com. 
I'm, I'd be very happy even if it's not to see me. I'm currently doing online work with, with COVID-19. So it, it's allowed me to, to branch out and see people on a, on, a, on a wider scale. Yeah, I mean, it's been a real honor talking about this because this is, this is a topic that, that, that's very close to me. And so even if people do go and contact me, if I just refer them on to somebody, I'm happy to do so. Even if people are not completely and utterly psychologically distressed and they just want to develop themselves and their identity of becoming a parent with just learning more, go to therapy. You mm. don't have to be completely distressed in order to enter into the therapy space. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes we can actually just need a little bit of space just because we need a little bit of space. We don't have to go there with a specific issue that we're facing. So that's great. Thank you, Tam. Thank you so much. And I'm hoping we'll have you back on the podcast soon. Thank you. I absolutely loved it. Thanks so much. Got a question you'd like to ask for a friend? Reach out to me via my website or Instagram, and I'll be sure to include it in a Q&A episode soon. You can subscribe and follow this podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please rate and review it.